Praise God. Tonight, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're gathered here at our Bible school, the Bible School of Times Square Church, Summit International School of Ministry. Our students are here. We have some visitors and guests here, too, as well tonight. It's good to see your faces. And we've gathered here to pray for you. And we've gathered here because we believe that we're living in a mercy moment in our nation. And what the Lord has put on our hearts tonight after the first three nights of prayer and fasting, this is the final night, we're going to pray for the nation. There's so much to pray about in America today, but that doesn't mean we're going to exclude those of you who are online with us tonight. We're going to be praying for you too as well and for your needs. We'll have a succession of people after I speak for just a few minutes. They'll be here. They'll be praying one after the other for various needs that I'll outline to you before they come up on the platform. Then Dr. Conlon's going to take the final prayer point, and she's going to bring the tablet that we have. Those of us who lead in prayer, we have a tablet, and your requests come into us. We see you. We see where you are. We know those of you who are online, live with us, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for your need, and we're going to finalize by praying for your country. As a matter of fact, Pastor Teresa is going to stand on one of the stairs beneath this pulpit, and we're going to ask the students, as many as can, to come and just lay their hands, get close to the tablet, and lay their hands on those tablets, and we're going to believe for a miracle for you tonight. So don't despair that because we're praying for America and you happen to be in Norway tonight that we somehow forgotten you. We haven't forgotten you. We're praying for you as well. And we encourage you to submit a prayer request. If you have one, submit it. You can do that actually right now online, or you can do it anytime throughout the week. You can tell your friends they can submit prayer requests as well. Just go to tsc.nyc, tsc.nyc. The easiest way to remember that is timesquarechurch.newyorkcity, tsc.nyc. And just go to the top right of that front page and click on prayer, and the whole website dealing with worldwide prayer will come up, and you'll see where you can submit a prayer request, but you can also read the thousands of prayer requests that have been submitted and you can go and click on one and tell somebody, hey, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And that person can be in any country throughout the world. So it's, it's an amazing thing that God is doing right now through prayer. And we have some phenomenal answers to prayer that have come in. God has, has moved in powerful ways. Even one of our own, Steve Barrett, who was an elder at Times Square Church for many, many years, he received a miracle healing just uh, two weeks ago, an absolute miracle he had a medically diagnosed blocked heart. All five arteries were blocked to the point where the doctor feared that he was going to drop dead right on the spot. He went in to, for a special test. They gave him that uh, nuclear test, they call it, where they inject you with dye and you have to go on a treadmill. And they confirmed that all five arteries in his heart were almost totally blocked. They took him in for surgery. They said, we're going to go in through your veins first. We're going to survey the extent of the damage. He prayed. And he went out to North Jersey, and Pastor Tim laid his hand on him and prayed. And he says, when Pastor Tim started to pray, I felt a heat go through my body. He said, I'm not embellishing, and I'm not exaggerating. I literally felt a heat pass through the upper part of my body. The doctor went in, and he was still conscious during the surgery. And the doctor, after about an hour and a half, he said, Steve, we're finished he said, I don't know what to say, basically, but there are no blockages in your heart whatsoever. Your heart is completely clean. And when he shared the testimony this week, I was driving in my car listening online, and I began weeping, and I began crying out. I said, God, we have a sickened heart in this country. 
We're sick. We're sick to the core. Just as Isaiah once said, you know, from the, from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet, there's just nothing but wounds and sores and confusion all through the nation. The heart of this nation is sick. God, what you did for Elder Steve, would you do for America? Would you, would you heal the heart of this nation? You're God. You can do that. You can do it in a human being and you can do it for a nation. You're God. Should anything seem too hard for you? This has been my prayer lately. We look and, and of course we can catalog all the reasons why God shouldn't do something, but there is no reason why God can't. And above everything, my prayer has been, God, you are merciful. Your mercy endures forever. So I'm just appealing to you in that aspect of your nature. I know you're God of justice and I know you're God of judgment. I understand that. There are lines that are crossed where you do have to enact justice, but mercy is still at the heart of everything you do. And if there's a moment of mercy that you desire to bring to this nation, would you, would you make us aware of it? Would you help us to call out? That's what I'm speaking on tonight, a message called, call out, Jesus is near. Call out. If ever there was a time to call out, if ever there was a time not to be silent, it's now. If ever there was a time we should be lifting our voices for our families, for our homes, for our children, for civility, for racial reconciliation, you just name it. Everything that seems to be broken down in this nation, this is the time now to call out to God. This is the time, not when, not when it's too late. Now is the time to call out. So Father, I pray tonight, God, that before we pray, that you would help me to, through your word, to set the stage for the heart that I believe you long for us to have. We long to have it, but you long to give it to us even more. Would you, would you help us to get beyond what our natural minds think and what our natural eyes see? And would you help us to engage with your thoughts and your ways, which you declare are higher than ours? God Almighty, don't let us live in mediocrity if you want to do the miraculous around us. Give us the grace, Lord, to believe you. God Almighty, that our children can be set free from captivity in our school systems, God, that our, our families can be restored and marriages can come back and be rebuilt, that, that immorality would no longer be called moral, God. We could have a spiritual awakening in this nation. Oh, Jesus Christ, we call out to you because no one else can help us now. No one else can do this. There's, there's no political system. There's nothing the courts can do. This is a spiritual moral problem in this nation. Only you can touch the hearts of the people. God, I'm asking you tonight to remember every prayer that's been prayed from the year 1620 and onward, God. When the first settlers came to Plymouth, Massachusetts and called out to you, remember the moms and the dads, the military generals, those that have bent their knee, those that have called out, those that prayed for the future, God. It may have been three, 400 years ago, but to you, it's only 30 seconds ago. Oh God, answer their prayer. Let righteousness reign one more time, even if it's only for a season. God, give us a mercy moment in our nation. And Father, help me to speak tonight. I recognize without the empowerment of your spirit, I'm just another opinion. I'm not interested in being another opinion and neither are you interested in any more opinions about your kingdom. I'm asking you to speak, Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to empower these words. I'm asking you to go into somebody's home and heart tonight. I'm asking you to do miracles tonight. I'm asking you to raise up those that are lame. I'm asking you to give sight to the blind. I'm asking you, Lord, to open prison doors. Heal, God, where only you can. 
Father, you will not, you cannot disappoint anybody who's come in online tonight looking for a miracle. You can't. You can't say no. Lord, you went to a cross to give us this victory. You died. You were beaten. You were mocked. You were shamed so we could live in this victory. God, you didn't go back, Jesus, to the right hand of your Father to fold your arms and not answer our prayer. I refuse to ever believe that. You're a God of power. You're a God of mercy. You're not only a lamb, you're a lion. God Almighty, God Almighty, God Almighty. Move powerfully tonight. Move powerfully tonight, oh God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start in Luke chapter 18 at verse 35. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. It should be on the screen in front of you. Then it happened as he, that's Jesus, was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. God help us. God help us to recognize when Jesus is passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. You know, when you start calling out to God, you'll have every voice that hell can raise against you, giving you reasons why you don't have the right to call out to God. You know, there was a spiritual theory back then that if you were born blind, perhaps, like remember one of the disciples said to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There was a a thinking at the culture of that time that if, if you were blind, that there was some sin that either you or somebody else had committed. So be quiet. That the inference being that there's a sin here and don't bother God with this. It will never change. But he cried out all the more. There's a, there's a point in life where it doesn't matter what people say. I couldn't care less what people say. I care what God says. He says, if you pray, if you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. If you ask, it will be given you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open. Whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. I choose to believe God over my own heart. I choose to believe God over every voice that will be raised against me calling out to him. And you should feel that way tonight online too. Those that are afflicted, addicted, depressed, discouraged, broken. And you're online saying, why would God ever bother with me? (laughs) Good question. He just did and does. (laughs) I I don't get it either. Neither do the angels. It's a mystery they desire to look into. (laughs) In the sight of heaven, we must look like an anthill. And we must look so confused and broken, yet we are the center of God's attention and affection. Isn't it amazing? He loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loves you that he gave his son for you and for me. God so loves you tonight online in your struggle. God loves you. And he's waiting tonight to speak. Jesus is waiting to speak your name to his father. When you open your heart to him, he'll cleanse you of everything that you've ever done that has separated you from God. The Bible calls that sin. He'll cleanse you from that. Bring you back into right relationship with God. And then the miracles start to happen. The change. If anyone be in Christ, he's what? The Bible says a new creation. If, if you turn to Christ, he comes to indwell your physical body by his Holy Spirit. And God begins to change you from the inside out. It's amazing how it happens. What do I have to do, you say? Read his word and what he says. Believe it. Every promise he makes. Say, that belongs to me. 
I want that in my life, and he will make it a reality in your life and give you a reason to live and give you an assurance that when you die, heaven will become your home. So don't let anyone stop you from crying out. Don't let anybody in your home tell you you're too big a loser to ever believe that God will change you. Oh, no. Don't listen to those voices. Don't even, don't even entertain them for a second. They warned him he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know, when you got nothing to lose, <laughs> he had absolutely nothing to lose. He had already lost everything, dignity, the ability to see his way forward. He had to beg by the roadside. He'd lost the ability to hold maybe any of the jobs that might have been available to others in his time. He had nothing to lose and everything to gain by calling out for the mercy of God. I love verse 40. It says, so Jesus stood still. I mean, the whole crowd is trying to move him in their direction. And you know, some people want him to overthrow Rome right on the spot. Others see financial gain from being associated with Jesus, very much like our, our day we're living in. Others have a political agenda and they think, wow, we got the guy with the power. Others just wanted free bread. They knew he could multiply a few loaves and fish, and they thought, hey, we hang out with this guy. We're going to have free bread for the rest of our lives. We can start bakeries. We can make money. We can do all kinds of stuff, you know? Uh, everybody had a reason, and, and I could just see everybody's kind of pushing it, you know, as, as they're walking. They're pushing him, and suddenly this guy who has, who has nothing to offer the kingdom of God starts crying out, and they're just saying, just be quiet. Just be quiet. Can't you see there's, there's great things going on here? This, this, this is a miracle worker. This is a man with power. This, this is a man who can help us fulfill all of our personal agendas. And of course, others saw themselves sitting at the right and left hand and such like with titles and names and seats. Oh God, his mercy is beyond my comprehension sometime. So he stood still and said, bring him to me. And when he had come near, he asked him and said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. When they saw Jesus, they weren't really praising God. But when they saw the blind man who saw Jesus seeing, that's, I know that's a lot of seesawing in this, in this statement. But when they, when they saw the blind man who saw Jesus seeing, they began to give glory to God. And when you get your miracle, when God raises you, when you get delivered from that which afflicts you, people will see Jesus because of you glorifying God, because of you testifying of what God has done in your life. You know, it's amazing how we can be in a place that has such a history of God's faithfulness, such as Jericho, his faithfulness and his power. And though being aware of it, at the same time, blind to the presence of God, returning to visit again. Isn't it amazing? Jericho, where the walls came down, where they finally another generation coming out of the wilderness came across the Jordan and they con were confronted by this stronghold in their place of promise. Walls so thick that some say that somebody, whether it's true or not, they do say that a chariot could be driven on the walls. They were so thick. They were thick enough to have homes inside of the wall and impenetrable in the natural and God gave them another one of his, as I call it, ridiculous battle plans to just walk around and say nothing. You know, that's, that'd be a miracle for the church right now, wouldn't it, for any church? Just, just say nothing. Just say nothing. Just walk around your problem and say nothing. And when I tell you to shout, shout. And they did, and the walls fell down, and they, they saw the power of God. And now fast forward many years later at Jericho is a blind man 
begging. I want, you, I want that picture to sit in your mind. That what had happened there, the power there, what God had done. And Psalm 44 verse 3 tells us that the children of Israel did not get this land in their possession by their own ability, their own sword. It was given to them by God. They inherited this place by the power of God. And similarly, in the United States, in 1620, 103 pilgrims came across from a foreign land with a promise of a new land of freedom where they were going to be able to worship God freely according to conscience and according to his word. They would be free from tyrannical dictatorship as they saw it, dictates of what they could say or preach or how they could pray. They wanted to be free and they wanted to be able to worship God according to how they interpreted the scriptures. And America as it is today was their land of promise, just as Israel was the land of promise for the children of Israel. But years, by the first year's end, only 51 of them were left alive. 53 had died of cold, hardship, starvation, disease, whatever it was. And they were so emaciated and so weak. They were surrounded by what they thought to be enemies. They, as a matter of fact, they were so desperate that they actually, in the wintertime, they tied their dead to trees so that their enemies, as they saw it, would think that they were more than they were. They couldn't bury their dead because the ground was frozen. So they simply tied them to trees. The obstacles were high. The situation was impassable and impossible, but they prayed. We had the privilege of, um, in 2020 of going to the house, which was the built on the foundation of the first home in America. The address is lot number one America, where these 51 survivors gathered to pray. And there's an undeniable presence of God in that room, in that house. It's a, it was stunning. When I first walked into it, you could, just like any sanctuary in any church, you could literally feel the lingering presence of God. It was in that front yard of that house, the first Thanksgiving in America was held. There are sketches of it still on the wall in that particular home. Yet they had, they had no go-forward strategy, but they prayed. They were weak. They were emaciated, penniless. The environment was too harsh for them to know how to survive in it, but they prayed. Uh, I don't know if you get a weaker prayer meeting. I don't know what they prayed, but I suspect it was along the lines of, God, we're finished if you don't intervene. You, get, you told us you're going to give us a place of promise. We dedicated this land to you. This was, this was supposed to be a place where you were going to be glorified. So we're asking you now, have mercy on us. Jesus, son of God, son of David, have mercy on us. And do for us what only you can do. And history tells us, and we know now that out of that prayer meeting of 51 people, on lot number one America came one of the greatest nations, arguably, in the history of the world, able to accomplish things that other nations in thousands of years of history have not been able to accomplish in just a few hundred years. God answers prayer. He answered their prayer back then. So here at Jericho sat a blind man now begging. And just as in America, we've lost sight of our purpose. We've lost sight of the God who gave us this place of freedom. And we took that freedom and we did some terrible things with it. We lost sight of God as a people, and we sit begging as a society for our daily needs now. Just like the blind man outside of Jericho begging, we are a population in America that is now begging. We're begging for provision. We fear for the future. We're begging for peace because peace seems to elude, be eluding us in our cities, our towns, our schools. Incivility is on the rise. We, we are begging for 
stability in our homes and our families. We're begging for our children to find a sense of morality and civility and decency. We're begging for soundness in our country, righteous leadership and truth, just to name a few things. We are very much like this man on the side of the road, blind, blind to our history. But, oh God, I pray that we can see who's passing by, that we can understand that we have a mercy moment in this nation. Jesus is passing by. And, and if the man had not cried out, he would have just passed by. I'm convinced that he would have passed by. But the man had the courage, the humility, the burden to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, don't pass me by. We sing that hymn. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. That's based on that scripture, I'm sure. That hymn that was written many, many years ago. <clears throat> now, this man at Jericho was about to have a spiritual awakening for the simple reason that he was aware that Jesus was passing by. I find it ironic that the people who could see were not aware of who they were walking with, but the blind man saw who it was. It's amazing. It's, it's, why is it always the person that everybody says, oh, just be quiet. You're never going to amount to anything. You're not going to do anything. God's not interested in you. Look at us with our robes and our degrees, and we're movers and shakers. Look at you sitting there begging. What do you know about God? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, and he just kept crying out, son of David, have mercy. Everything within and certainly without came against him to stop him from crying out. But in Psalm 22, verse 24, Psalmist David says, when this man cried out to him, he heard, oh God, I hope you remember the day you cried out to him. I do. I hope you remember the day. I was a young police officer heading off to a training school and things were not going right in my life. And I, I turned on the radio in my car and I was heading out. I had a, about an eight-hour drive ahead of me. And uh, it might be the first time I had ever really prayed, I think. And uh, I was in my car and Billy Graham was on. I don't know how I got on that station. It just happened to be on. I turned it on. And I didn't even know it was Billy Graham until later on. But this guy is, you know, you may be trying all of this stuff and it's not working. You know, Billy Graham. You know, it was very simple. <laughs> And I listened for only about a minute or two, and then I, I just said, God, help me. It was, it was my blind man on the side of the road moment. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard the man and stopped. It's the whole, everything stops when you cry out. Everything, everything stops. Don't let the devil ever tell you he doesn't care about you. Everything stops. I want you to picture it for a moment. I don't know how many thousands are with him. How many thousands are pushing him in every direction, trying to get him to fulfill their agendas? But one guy cries out, and this is the guy who's going to get the miracle. The strange thing is nobody else gets a miracle that's recorded on that day. But this guy gets it. The one guy who's not, he can't even follow the crowd because he can't see. But he hears that Jesus is passing by. And everything stops. Everything stops. That's how much he loves you. So much he cares. When you call out, everything stops. 
I know he's running the universe. I know he has a lot to do. He does. He does. I mean, I mean, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. So obviously there's some construction going on somewhere. <laughs> right? And he seems to be the supervisor because I go to prepare a place for you. So he's the construction supervisor of my mansion, by the way, right now. And yours. There's a lot going on out there, but the moment he hears you in your dorm, the students, he, everything stops. Everything stops. He says, bring him to me. Every, he cannot turn away from a cry. And when a prayer becomes a cry, something happens to the heart of God. Oh, we pray a lot of prayers. A lot of perfunctory stuff, you know, just it's very King Jamesy. It's very, you know, we, we, we think if we string enough phrases together, somehow God's going, oh, I'll answer him or he'll never shut up, you know, that kind of prayer. <laughs> but this guy gets a miracle with just a couple of words Jesus, son of David, help me. Just help me. That's, that's his prayer. It's, it's not much of a prayer, but I tell you, in my life, it's the one that God has answered repetitively over the years. I have prayed that prayer so many times. I, I still pray it. Jesus, help me. I get up. Jesus, help me. Even when I try to put on my shoes now in the morning, Jesus, help me. <laughs> and he's always answered that prayer. Always. Always. And I never really fully understood that everything can come to a, a stop when you just pray that. I wonder if that's the prayer he's longed to hear from so many of us for so long. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. I want to see. For me, I want, I want to see a spiritual awakening in my time. I, I want to see the name of Jesus Christ glorified. I want to, I want to hear praises in the house of God. I want to see families at tables with moms and dads opening the Bible and reading it to their kids again. I want to see marriages restored. I, I want to see prisoners set free and given transformed lives. I want to see drug addicts set free from the power of drugs. I want to see our children praying in their schools again and taught about the ways of God. Oh God, I want to see. I want to see a greater purpose for my life than I've ever known. I've, I've had a good life. I thank God for it. It's been a marvelous journey, but there's much more to see, and that's been my prayer. God, I want to see something deeper, fuller than I've ever known before, and I don't care what it costs me to see it, but I want to see it. I'm tired of your name being mocked. I'm tired of you not being honored. I'm tired of hearing your name as a curse word, even in G-rated movies. I'm tired of it all. I'm tired of the broken homes, the broken families. I'm tired of the fentanyl coming across our borders. I'm tired of the incivility in our society. I'm tired of dysfunctional government in this country. I'm tired of it all. I want to see a spiritual awakening in this nation one more time. One more time for the glory of God. And Jesus, the Bible says immediately he received his sight and followed him. Immediately. Not 10 weeks later, immediately. Glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Jesus is near. And he's willing to do something in your life and in mine 
that people will see it and they will glorify God. David the psalmist says, I was sinking in a horrible pit and God lifted me up and set my feet upon a rock and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise unto God. Then he says something interesting. Many will see it. He didn't say they'll hear it. They will see it and they will fear and turn to God. Isn't that amazing? A song that can be seen before it's heard. A change of countenance, a change of ability, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction, a change of understanding. This man was no longer a beggar. He was part of the crowd everywhere. He was, I could just see him in the crowd. I was blind and now I see. And everyone else there is just, oh, I wish he'd be quiet. But the common people saw it. The hungry saw it. The religious never see anything. But the prisoners saw it. The depressed saw it. The addicted saw it. So why should we settle for less than what God is willing to do in each of our lives to bring his own name to glory? What is spiritual awakening, you say? It's when we recognize the nearness of God. It's, it doesn't come because we do more of stuff, and there's lots we can do. You can read the Bible till your eyes go crossed. That's not necessarily spiritual awakening. You can pray until you lose your voice. It's a good thing. Give it a shot sometime. I've done it. But a spiritual awakening comes when we awaken to the fact that Jesus is near. He's not far away from us. And if we don't cry out, we might miss the moment. I personally believe, and it's my, my conviction, you can agree or disagree, your liberty to do that, that we will know one moment of mercy in this nation before Christ comes. It could be bigger than anything we've ever thought. It could be, I don't know. I don't know fully what it's going to look like, but I do believe that we're going to experience a moment of mercy. I believe in my heart that God is going to raise up the addicted, the afflicted, the marginalized, the depressed, the nobodies, the nothings of this society, and he's going to confound this world with what he's going to do in each of our lives. I do believe that, and I believe it with all of my heart. I believe the end time awakening is gonna be rank and file people like this blind man that just cries out and says, help me, Jesus. And he's gonna say, what do you want me to do? Tell him, tell him what you want. You know, there's an old Pentecostal song we used to sing years ago, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want, you know. Like he's, he's listening, you've called out, he's answered. What do you want me to do for you? Tell him. Tell him. Years ago, I was a brand new believer in Christ, and I had suffered from panic attacks for nine years. Nine years of hell on earth. That's the way I'd describe it. It started when I was 15 years of age and lasted till I was 24 years of age. And panic attacks, if you've ever had them, it, it, is, it is literally hell on earth. I, I, I would have them in class. Sometimes I was taken by ambulance to the hospital twice. Um, one time my blood pressure was so high, the nurse dropped the uh, blood pressure machine on the floor and ran out to get a doctor thinking I was going to die right on the table. I was going to have a heart attack or a stroke. My blood pressure was so high. That's how deep fear had gotten a hold of my life. Then I came to Christ. And I read in the Bible that God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And Paul the apostle said, if God be for us, who can be against us? And I believed it. 
And one night when I was at home and I'm a brand new believer in Christ and I, 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 I felt a panic attack coming on. Now up to this point before getting saved, when a panic attack would happen, I would take Valium and whiskey at the same time. It's not a, I don't ever recommend it under any circumstance. It would just so dumb me down that it, it, it would help me get through it. But no more whiskey, I was now a Christian, and no more Valium. I said, I'm not taking pills and I'm not taking booze. You know, I'm gonna stand up and fight. And I went into my living room and I said these words. I said, Satan, you throw whatever you got at me. And if you kill me, I'm going home to be with God. So I win tonight. I win tonight. I win. You lose, I win. Either way. And I said, so you throw at me everything you've got, but I throw back at you what I now have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I resist you. And as God lives, a heat, not a fuzzy warmth, an actual heat, as if, if, if you, as if you took a heater and you put it over the top of my head, started and it went right through my body. It started down the lower part of my body and went right through my chest, right through my head, out the top of my head. And I have never had a panic attack since. I was completely set free. <laughs> Jesus, son of David, have mercy. What do you want me to do? That night, I said, God, I want to be free. I'm tired of this. And I see in your word that this is not my portion. This is not what my life should be. So tonight, I want to encourage people who are online. We're going to pray for you. We're going to gather. Some of the students here are going to come out and pray with Pastor Teresa as well tonight. We're going to lay hands on that tablet. We're going to pray for your specific request. So don't give up on that.